Hey, Em, do you think if an apple fell on my head that maybe I would come up with a super genius idea like the law of gravity that Sir Isaac Newton came up with? So, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I will say only you because you've been through shockingly weirder things. So I think if you said, oh, yeah, an apple hit me in the head. Now I'm a physicist, world renowned. (laughs) That's true. Either it's true. Or you hit your head so hard, I'm not going to challenge you. I'm just going to go, oh, Christine. (laughs) That's true. I feel like the only thing that could genuinely turn me into a real physicist is a head injury. The full delusion that apparently a 50-pound apple would cause. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's fair. You know what? I'll accept it. But to be totally honest with you, Em, I have a fun fact. It's actually not certain that an apple fell on Sir Isaac Newton's head, even Mm. though that's kind of what we've grown to believe. Sure. Despite that, Newton is obviously one of the most influential scientists to ever exist. Not only does he have this achievement, but he's also been called the last of the magicians. Mm. Ooh, ah. (laughs) Uh, And that's because of the years he spent dedicated to the study of alchemy, believe it or not. The last of the magicians sounds like it's supposed to be the title to like the new YA series. Yes, it sounds like the greatest showman part two or something. Yeah. By the way, in my mind, it does not start Isaac Newton. (laughs) Or you, by the way, before you have something to say. I thought maybe I was next up. Okay. Yeah. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Christine Schieffer. And I'm M. Schultz, and every week we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. We're discussing Sir Isaac Newton today, Amethy, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to tell you the ins and outs of this weird fella. I love ins and outs. I love weird fellas. It all makes sense. Well, let's crack into it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Before we get into Sir Isaac Newton's life, um, how good are you at science? Please just regale us with all of your scientific background and how just STEM 
how engrossed in STEM you are. I feel like the people of ParCast who wrote these talking prompts are just trying to hurt me at this now point. Now they're just having fun. <laughs> because hmm, either they don't listen and truly just have a good heart who just want to know the truth, but maybe they listen to the show and there you know exactly how I'm going to have to answer this, which is that <laughs> I wasn't that hot at science, my friend. <laughs> no. No. Let's just put it this way. I always wanted to get into, like, I was the kid with like the chemistry sets, but I was the kid with the chemistry sets where I was pouring things together that should have not been put together. <laughs> and then I took an actual chemistry class in high school and I did so badly that the final was 11 pages. I answered four of them. <gasps> this is my high school final determining my grade. And then I wrote on the back, it's my birthday. Please, please be nice <laughs> to me. <laughs> And were they? <laughs> and I didn't have to take the class again, so he probably gave me the lowest grade he could without ever having Oof. to see me again. Which, to be fair, it was not fun for him to have me in his class either, because oh, the whole time not. I was kicking and screaming. I was told that by many science teachers, that it is really? so not fun to have me in their class. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, at Target, saw my old advanced biology teacher, and I just actively did not look her way. I was like, I guarantee she does not want to interface with me ever again. You did just humble brag with the advanced biology. I was never welcome to that class. When I started high school, they were like, oh, well, your grades are good enough to get into advanced biology. And about two weeks in, my teacher was like, who put you here? I was <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't ask for this. Oh, man. Well, uh, you couldn't handle biology. I couldn't handle chemistry. So nice to know. Yeah. You know, I liked physics to an extent, but well, let me ask you this first. Is there a favorite memory you have from, say, a physics or chemistry class besides you absolutely bombing your final on your birthday? I know. <laughs> That's my favorite memory of your chemistry <laughs> class. <laughs> it was so embarrassing, too, because our chemistry teacher was like known at the school for being apparently like the coolest teacher. He had like a Ugh. reputation and I just we never had that connection together. Yeah. In <laughs> physics, I actually surprised myself at how good I was at physics. I was not good, but I was surprised that I was not that bad. Yeah. And I actually my physics teacher was one of the only teachers, you know, the teacher who like changes you and makes you miss school or mean something to you. And... I don't, but I've heard those exist. Yeah. OK, well, uh, <laughs> one of them was my physics teacher. He was really cool. He lived in a bus. That's all I know about him now because oh. he <laughs> he was kind of like one of those ships in the night. He just mysteriously arrived and mysteriously vanished. And oh my. he told us when we left the school, it was going to be his last year working there, too. And he let us know that we would never find him. He was like, whoa. oh, whoa. he was so like anti social media and stuff. And he was like, you will never know where I am, but just know that I I'll miss you fondly. And I was like, that's sweet and also so spooky. I'm so afraid of this person. <laughs> I loved him. thought he was so cool. <laughs> he encouraged me. I said one day, I, w I thought about actually becoming a physics major in college. Oh, Lord. Because of him. I forgot how bad I was at physics. I was hoping for more teachers like him. So. Uh-huh. Well. Um, I didn't become a physics major, so we're clear. Well, I, I think that I we all kind of figured that one out. Okay. I would say my favorite memory from a physics class is the time. <laughs> what? When an apple, a 50-pound apple fell into your lap and you became a genius? What? No, but a really, really heavy metal bar that was holding up the projector screen <laughs> swung down and hit our teacher in the head and he <laughs> fell on the ground and we all just sat there 
and he was bleeding profusely from his head and we had to call like the, we didn't know what to do and so we like call, called the nurse like we didn't know what to do we like used his phone and called the nurse and he had a concussion <laughs> and then a week later we saw the guy come in and like screw the thing back in and he was standing at the <laughs> Board and it happened again. <laughs> it was so bad. And he, the problem was he had an anger problem, and he had talked about how he was in anger management. And so it swung down and hit him in the head a second time. And he started swearing like a like I've never heard a person swear before. And he started like throwing stuff. I mean, it was such a dramatic day. I like how I said my physics teacher changed me and you watched your almost <laughs> die twice. Mine did too and it never really struck me how what a poignant <laughs> irony it was that he was also struck in the head by an object much like the father. Of uh, maybe he physics. was trying to become Newton. That's what it sounds like. You watched him have his own experiment fail maybe twice. Maybe he just was being tested by the anger management gods which I believe he failed. Uh, so anyway, that's my favorite memory of Physics, hope you're doing well, sir. Please don't hear this. And, I think we uh, can end the episode here, right? <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> this is the most <laughs> spooky. I mean, this has gotten already pretty off the wall. Yeah. I knew this was going to be a good story for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, do you know anything about Sir Isaac Newton M besides what we've discussed? The apple, the <laughs> alchemy. I know like fun facts about him, but in terms of science, no, I don't. Oh, what fun facts do you know? I know that he, oh, his dog one time. This feels very akin to you watching your uh -oh. your, your own <laughs> class go up in flames. Literally, his dog accidentally set his lab on fire one time. Oh, no. Did the dog survive? Let's say yes, because I don't, I don't know yes. the truth. Okay. Can you imagine just walking in and like Geo's just sitting in your podcast studio and it's just a flame? I just... can actually. I can imagine that a little too well and vividly that I'm starting to get a little nervous. So let's move on. Okay. I mean, that's more than I knew. I mean, I knew some basics about him, but I didn't know about his dog. So thank you for the info. Yep. And speaking of Newton and some fun facts, do you know anything about his work in alchemy at all? I know that he was in a few comics and they mentioned a lot of it. So Okay, we're actually going to get to that. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, you nailed it. Okay. I also know he was in our Emerald Tablet episode. Yes, because we discussed a lot about alchemy in that bad boy. Mm -hmm. What an episode that was. I remember being so... Overwhelmed. <laughs> overwhelmed and at the yeah. end having more questions than when we started. I feel like that's half of these episodes where I'm it's like, true. was I just educated or do I need to now learn so much more? Yeah, do I know less <laughs> than I did when I started? I'm not really sure. It's a great 101 podcast that influences me to then end up in the middle of the night looking for more answers. Becoming so. a, an expert in the most strange and niche categories. Yes. Well, here I go looking up alchemy again tonight. My <laughs> computer's getting very used to it in the tab history. So, oh, well, let's get into it. So Sir Isaac Newton, or as he is better known to us, the Lord of Gravity, <laughs> was born in 1643 in Lincolnshire, England. His father was a wealthy farmer, but died a few months before Newton's birth. And when Newton was born, he was actually a preemie baby and was not expected to live. Oh, pretty sad. When he was a toddler, his mom remarried and moved in with her new husband. Oh, spoiler alert, he did live. So I don't know. Oh, if, yeah. Um, what a comeback. Clear. Wow. What a comeback. Yes. <laughs> But when he was a toddler, his mom remarried and moved in with her new husband. And in the meantime, Newton stayed behind with his grandmother. Okay. So unfortunately, this sort of abandonment by his mother haunted him for the rest of his life. 
when he was a young man, he even once wrote a letter addressed to God in which he confessed to threatening to burn down his mother's house. Hmm. And in this same letter, he also confessed to punching his sister. Oh, dark. Okay. He's having a hard time and understandably so. He attended King's School in Lincolnshire, which is still running today. And while there, he actually lived at an apothecary, the dream. Wow. You know, living in an apothecary is exactly the witchy cottage core I'm looking for in a future house. Exactly. And also, if his school is still running today, you know their science lab is like just a bunch of jerks. Like they're so bragging all the time. They're like, well, Newton came from here. So our esteemed teachers, <laughs> hundreds of years later, they're responsible. But they don't say Newton. They say the Lord of Gravity. Right. We all know it. Uh, I forgot. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're right. totally right. So while there, he lived at an apothecary where he was introduced to the concept of chemistry. Hmm. In 1661, he got into the prestigious Cambridge University. (laughs) Ever heard of it? (laughs) Okay. And to pay for his education, he was a servant to wealthy students. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that was an option. I was going to say, I'm thrilled that's not really the norm nowadays, because I think that would create a really awkward dynamic in class if you're a servant to your classmate. Yeah. But also imagine, like, maybe he wasn't, like, the smartest kid in the room yet, but imagine the smartest kid in the room is a servant to you. That would be interesting, He's, like, cleaning your shoes or something. It's just such a weird dynamic. It's almost as weird of a dynamic as the pressure this poor chemistry teacher has at his current school or at the school that's still running because of him. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Imagine being the chemistry teacher there. Oh, my God. When the Great Plague of London raged throughout Europe in 1665, Cambridge University had to close. And by the way, this is starting to get a little close to home as we record this in 2022. The Great Plague hits. The school has to close. Newton returns home. And it is during this period when he starts formulating ideas on light, color, the laws of motion, and other things. In Mm. other words, he was almost as productive as you and I were during quarantine. (laughs) I'm wondering maybe during the pandemic when we were isolated, what kind of scientific breakthroughs did you face, Em? What sort of worldwide theories did you attain and develop? I I just wonder. I just wonder. What did I achieve? Hmm. You got your hair pretty long. Yes. My (laughs) hair is like obscenely long and I have to figure out its next step. I got to tell you, my quarantine projects did not involve physics. That's a fact. I got really good at building my family tree. Didn't you make a mini golf course? That seems like physics related. Sure. You know what? Call me a physicist. <laughs> I won't do that. It was for my girlfriend's birthday because we usually go mini golfing a lot. So I made her a course out of cardboard. But if that puts me at Cambridge level physics. Okay. Sure. Nobody said that. but You um, implied it is what I'm saying. Maybe I implied it. What about you, my favorite scientist? What (laughs) breakthroughs did you have? Besides a baby. I'm sure I got hit in the head a few times, but unfortunately nothing (laughs) quite ingenious came out of those experiences. We wrote like a New York Times bestselling book, but we did write a book. That's true. (laughs) I would say that was more a deranged, frenzied period, really, than any sort of like enlightening experience. No sanity was put into it. That's true. Absolutely not. No. That's about as much as I can say we accomplished during that time. (laughs) Okay, so him and I, we probably wouldn't have been, like, super close. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you would have been on a monthly Zoom Uh happy hour, but I think that might have been as far as it went. We would have had a mutual friend, and every time I make small talk with him, I'm just like, I don't even want to ask because I'm too intimidated. I don't. There's nothing. Like, whatever you're going to say, I'm not going to understand half the words anyway, so... (laughs) 
Who want to play mini golf? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was during Newton's break or, you know, quarantine time for him when the story about the apple falling on his head actually came to fruition. So the story itself goes something like this. While Newton is sitting under a tree one day, an apple falls on his head. And this allegedly got him thinking about why the apple fell straight down and not at an angle. And this is what made him investigate theories of motion and gravity. But as we alluded to at the top of the episode, there's no actual evidence that an apple ever fell on Newton's head. Mm -hmm. But it's not a total myth because there is an element of truth to the story in that Newton reportedly did see an apple fall. And it did get his scientific juices flowing, so to speak. So he watched the apple fall. It just didn't necessarily bonk him in the head. I see. Similar fun fact to George Washington. He never chopped down a cherry tree. He chopped down a pear tree. What's up with these weird fruit... Lies? Lies. (laughs) (laughs) This fake news. This fake news about fruit. I don't understand. I don't know. They couldn't keep their fruit straight back in the day, I guess. I guess not. I don't know. Coming up, Isaac Newton becomes a force in the scientific revolution and also gets a job as Master of the Royal Mint, where he sentences people to death. Okay, I feel like that should be more popular than the Apple story, for sure. It seems like such a plot twist that none of us were expecting. I don't know. How did we miss that in history? The fruit thing, (laughs) I can understand there being some loose ends, but this feels concrete. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details ebay motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly brake kits led headlights bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply So we just talked about the apple falling, but not really falling on his head, and how this moment drove Isaac Newton to investigate theories of gravity and motion. But there's more to Newton's life than this incredible scientific discovery. Hmm. So when the plague ended in 1667, I wonder when ours is going to end, technically. You know, (laughs) I feel like they say, oh, it's over, but not really over. I don't know. I got to tell you, I just don't know if it'll ever end at this point. It's a romantic thought, I think, sometimes. Oh, yeah. When the plague ended in 1667, Newton headed back to Cambridge University, and the following year, in 1668, Newton invented the first reflecting telescope. Oh. Yeah, no big deal. (laughs) Right, BFD. Everything so far is a no big deal with him, it seems. Honestly, it's like, oh, I have a break from school where most people would just veg out and, like, rewatch Gilmore Girls, but now I think I'm going to discover how gravity works. Can you imagine if he were dealing with this plague instead of that plague and he had TikTok at his disposal? Oh, oh my God. First of all, he would have been so distracted. He would have gotten nothing done. That's like the rest true. Of us. That's true. 
But also, if you were making these discoveries and then just went on TikTok and was like, hey, I think I figured something out, the man would be viral and then would have a podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson the next week. It'd be crazy. Yeah. And he'd never go back to Cambridge. Who are we kidding? No. He'd be like, "Um, I'm insta-famous. He's going to his own hype house. You get it. You get it. You get it. (laughs) The Alchemy Hype House. I don't think anyone would join him there. I think it would be his house and he's calling it the Hype House so other people might want to come and help pay rent. Yeah, I don't know if it would work, though. I think he might plant an apple tree and be like, see what I did? And (laughs) be like, nice nod, my guy. Okay, you wouldn't be that creative. Yeah. So like I said, Newton invented the first reflecting telescope in 1668. And this discovery would see him inducted into the esteemed Scientific Academy, London's Royal Society. Hmm. And a side note on this, we can thank Newton for the Hubble and the James Webb telescopes because this is where it all began. So pretty cool. That is a fun butterfly effect moment. Mm -hmm. A year later, in 1669, he got a Master of Arts and a job as a professor of mathematics at Cambridge University. He, fun fact, achieved all of this before the age of 27. (laughs) Okay, relax, guy. I I know. It hurts. Also, I feel like once you've invented the telescope, you've learned things about light and color, you're in the Royal Society, you went to Cambridge, you don't need to go back to grad school. Like, now what? Like, why are you getting your master's? Like, what do you not know yet? What (laughs) are you trying to prove? Oh, that gravity exists? Okay, I guess you could could do that. (laughs) Newton also discovered that white light is made up of all the colors on the spectrum. So... We got red, we got orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet. He also figured out that light is created of particles and not waves. And I'm going to tell you now how he discovered this, and you're not going to like it. Okay. He discovered this by placing a needle in his eye socket. (gasps) Wow. No, we didn't. No, I truly, I refuse. That's how? That should be more important than the Apple story. Why is that what we don't know about? I promise Neither of us are ever going to forget that fact. So I don't know why they don't use that in class. If that's what it takes to be a scientist, I was never meant for that kind of task. No, <laughs> that life is not for me. I would love to know the details of why he oh, I'll went. I'll tell you. Okay. I immediately Googled it, of course. And what I found was that he took kind of a big, sort of a crochet needle type thing with a blunt end. And he put it between where the eye and the eye socket are. And then he was able to see different colored sort of <laughs> your face. <laughs> what face? It's hiding behind my, my very sad hands. Oh, my God. Okay. I think I've heard an I That's all I needed. <laughs> you ask. I get it. I get it. But also, you know what? If I ever had to do a science experiment and that was part of the experiment, I'd be like, I guess I'm not doing the experiment. Like, there must be another way. Like, you're a scientist. You could figure out another way. <laughs> guess the world won't benefit from all these great findings. Now I'm like, you could not be considered one of the smartest people on earth if that was your best call is to stab yourself (laughs) in the eye with a knitting needle. (laughs) To be fair, it was between the... Okay, we'll talk... (laughs) Who are you? What defense are you trying to come up with? Why? I don't know. I don't know. I can't stop rubbing my eyes. I'm so scared that something's going to (laughs) just pop in there. Like, Newton's going to walk into my house and have a knitting needle with him. <laughs> it's going to be your next night terror. <laughs> Knitting Newton. He's coming at me with his little needles. <laughs> That's sleep paralysis material right there. <laughs> so you're not the only one who critiqued Newton at this point, because Newton's findings were met with criticism also from the head of the Royal Society, whose name was Robert Hooke. Mm-hmm. Now, Hooke was a physicist who discovered the law of elasticity. 
And Newton did not take criticism well. Sounds kind of like us in that. No, it's not that we don't take it well. We just don't enjoy it. But I guess who does? Yeah, I feel like we'll also think of this man's confidence level. He's put himself on a pedestal, I think. And he kind of deserves to be there. I mean, he's he does deserve to be there. But he I think he was being humbled for five seconds. And all of a sudden he went, hang on a second. (laughs) This I don't like. He's like, who are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bobby. Bobby Hook. (laughs) So Newton did not take criticism well. And the two scientists got into it. And uh, this is where I tell you Newton was known for being a bit of a tyrant. And unfortunately, this ultimately led to him having a nervous breakdown after which he had to withdraw from public life in 1678. Okay. Not to let some tough criticism get him down during his absence from public life, Newton got to work on more history-making science. It seems like these breaks from the real world are actually what get him into these discovery modes, you know? Either he is, he just doesn't want to deal with the rest of us, or maybe he gets bored when he, I don't know. Something about these isolated periods seem to be getting his creative juices flowing, you know? Good for him, because I do the opposite. I'm like, oh, a hole to hibernate in? Excellent. That's exactly what I was looking for anyway. (laughs) In 1687, Newton published the Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy, which is best known as Principia. Principia is one of the most influential books on physics, if not all of science, and it got Newton worldwide attention. In the book, Newton details his three laws of motion, and these laws are what helped him come up with his theory of gravity. Mm-hmm. Now, Em, let me ask you this. Out of all the biggest discoveries in history, which one would you have liked to have discovered? If you could go back and be in the shoes of the person who discovered it, who would it be and what would it be? Time travel, which already exists. So there's that. It hasn't been documented. So you you would want to discover, okay. If it would require going back or going forward... <laughs> I would do that and discover time travel. That was why I actually wanted to learn physics even in college. I wanted to be on what a far-fetched like goal. I mean, it actually makes a lot more sense than just my teacher lived on a bus. And so I wanted to learn physics in college. The time travel makes more <laughs> sense to me. It helped. I really liked him. And I was like, oh, well, that's also a good sign that I should go towards physics. But the real reason I was I've always been obsessed with time travel. So I feel like. It made sense that I should be on the team that discovers time travel. And then that physics teacher went, what makes you think it hasn't already been created? And then my whole brain exploded and my world shifted. And truly, if time travel exists in the future, it has technically already been discovered in the past. Because if you can time travel and get to the past and then you have to time travel back to your present day, Mm -hmm. it's been there, baby. So that's not what you wanted to hear. But that is my answer. Time travel. It's not necessarily what I wanted to hear, but it's what I absolutely knew I, I would hear from you. <laughs> what about you? What, what's what's something less manic than uh, my answer? Well, I don't know if I can offer you anything less manic, and I think we both <laughs> know that already. But I will say I, growing up, always wanted to be, and this is probably just as laughable to any of my old science teachers, but I always wanted to be an archaeologist. And so I think mm. I would have loved to make a discovery of, say, uh, King Tut's tomb or some sort of ancient artifact, like uh, ancient pyramids, that kind of thing. That would have been my cool discovery. Good to know. In another world, I will time travel to you where you're the archaeologist. And then I'll just take you on trips and you can discover things. Oh, I could take you to the future and we, or I could take you to even to, no, I could take you to the future. And we could bury things for the future future. (gasps) 
That's fun. That would be an interesting task. We could leave little notes, little scavenger hunt. Or you could be an archaeologist today, technically, and just start burying things now for future you. Just be like, I know where things are that no one else would, so I have to be trusted on this assignment, and then just dig things up. Hee <laughs> it's under King Tut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've ever had a more chaotic conversation. <laughs> I don't know that that's true, sadly, but it's possible. That one fell fully off the rails. <laughs> I wonder when the podcast team writes these questions if they go, what on earth do we think the answer is going to be? To this? Yeah, well, like I put that back on them. I say, well, what did you expect after all of these episodes? What did you expect? Because um, this never ends well. Maybe I went back in time and created these prompts for us because I knew they'd be juicy. You might have added them. Yeah, in a past. Li- that's possible. It's very possible. All right. Well, there are our answers, folks. Anyone listening at home, I hope you feel safe, maybe less safe with us now. So <laughs> I think probably not. Anyway, these are just some of the discoveries that made Newton an integral part of the scientific revolution, the precursor to modern science. Hmm. So, Em, here's another fun fact for you. Did you know that Isaac Newton is also credited with inventing calculus? Oh, no. I feel like with the amount of things I'm learning on rituals, I feel like we've covered everything that was that needed to be discovered now. Everything's been discovered by somebody we've talked about, yeah. Yeah, and like five people, everything's been discovered. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> well, this is also crazy because it's thoroughly laughable. And I wonder who thought this would be an apt question to ask us. Em and Christine, was calculus fun for you? Hmm, that feels hmm. insulting. <laughs> I'm offended. I'm actually not offended. I'm honored that anybody would think I ever even took calculus because I absolutely did not. Do I feel complimented that someone thinks I still have one brain cell left that could have achieved calculus? Yeah, I took uh, pre-calculus and I was incredibly bad at that. So I imagine calculus wouldn't have been much more fun. I didn't even take pre-calculus. I somehow evaded all of that in high school. I took geometry, which I got a D. So I then took algebra 2, which I didn't do that great either. And then I had a stats class and then I took trig. Oof. All of it was bad. I am glad to have missed calculus. I don't think my grades would have been better if I took calculus. I'm pretty sure I took the exact same course load that you just outlined, except I did get an A in geometry. That one, for some reason, always always worked for me. None of the others. I knew on the first day that it was going to be bad. <laughs> what a shame, because it was one of my favorite teachers. And I was like, oh, man, we've had such a good rapport up until now. And now I'm one of her students instead of just like someone in the halls. She's going to realize what a dummy I am in like the next half an hour. It's like sayonara to that relationship. I mean, when I don't know what a rhombus is, she's going to know the real me. <laughs> I still don't totally understand. <laughs> You've probably figured out by now that Newton was a pretty hardworking guy. Not only was he making all these discoveries, but he also held down jobs at the same time. So in 1689, he became a member of Parliament where he represented Cambridge. And then, as if that weren't enough, in 1696, he joined the Royal Mint as its warden. And not to rest on his laurels, after only three years there, he became what's called Master of the Mint. How many resume-boosting titles does this guy need? It's getting obnoxious. I was going to say, it's like, he can't stop at just the entry. He has to go to, like, the highest. Was Parliament not enough? Like, what, not. what is the goal? I feel like a lot of people who don't do enough, people say, like, well, what's your one big goal? But then 
if you're someone like him, it's like you've hit too many goals. You really need to like just go on a vacation. Leave some for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like now there's a waiting list for other people to get into parliament and you it's almost like you don't even care you got into it. While he was master of the mint, he went hard on people who were counterfeiting money, a crime that could see a person hanged, drawn, and quartered. Mm, yikes. yikes. And Newton actually had people sentenced to death for trying to scrape gold off coins. So, oh, my God. Yeah, he took it very seriously. He was also part of a team that created coins that were hard to forge. And one of the techniques was making sure the patterns on the coins were more intricate. And it worked. And this tweak actually led to fewer forgeries. So hmm. he's doing a service. And maybe not necessarily good service as far as putting people to death, but, you know. But a service. A service, nonetheless. Sir Isaac Newton died on March 31st, 1727, at the age of 84. So he lived a nice long life. Hmm. Okay. But this actually wasn't the end of his discoveries because more would be revealed after his death. Up next, secret manuscripts of Newton's found after his death reveal his controversial passion for alchemy and biblical prophecies in which he tried to predict the second coming. Nothing you say about him shocks me anymore. (laughs) I keep trying. This sounds exactly on par with everything else at this point. So (laughs) looking forward to it. Following Sir Isaac Newton's death, it was discovered that he had left behind a lot of writing. And I mean around 10 million words in total, which is approximately equivalent to 150 novels. Jesus. Oh, my God. Just hiding out. Just secret secret novels, you know? This is what I'm saying. He doesn't even seem to care about any recognition. Like the accolades, right. <laughs> to write 150 books and not even tell anyone you wrote one? What? Absolutely not. I'll tell you why. It's because these books revealed that Newton had spent 30 secretive years studying alchemy and all these writings were in secret. So he had been studying alchemy kind of behind the scenes and this was Mm. not public knowledge. And so this writing was not meant to see the light of day during his lifetime. Okay, got it. I just wouldn't have written it then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you wouldn't have. (laughs) I know we're two different people, but I'd be like, oh man, like I kind of will always need recognition somewhere, somehow, some way. And if this is going to be kept secret that's gonna stay secret in my little head that's where it would stay not gonna cramp your poor wrist yeah exactly half of it maybe a notepad in my phone you know maybe <laughs> maybe a voice to text just exactly so that you can say it out loud no typing yeah <laughs> it's too much half of the writings were on religion and there were about one million words on alchemy Much of the work was copied from other people's ideas and before we get any further I want to define alchemy quickly here. So the Royal Society of Chemistry describes alchemy as having three goals, to find the philosopher's stone, to discover eternal youth, and to figure out how to transmute metals. Hmm. In the 17th century, chemistry and alchemy pretty much came under the same umbrella. So a lot of times people were looking at chemistry and alchemy in the same way. Okay. People who were close to Newton during his lifetime wanted to keep his manuscripts away from the public because they didn't want to tarnish his reputation, and some of his views would have been considered heretical, so this was like a dangerous field to be playing in at the time. Okay, got it. It's important to note that he was considered one of the fathers of the Enlightenment, and at this point, alchemy was not widely accepted. It was actually illegal until 1689. Hmm. 
Wow. And on top of that, alchemists could be killed by people who wanted to extract their knowledge. So on varying levels, this was a very dangerous field to be a part of. Yeah, I don't think I knew that. It makes sense why he would hide those books. But man, I was going to say, oh, well, if it's illegal, so many people are doing it. But I don't know. <laughs> that, I, that's that never stopped anybody. That's before, never so. stopped anyone. <laughs> Especially if you think like everyone will understand when I find the elixir of life or something. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Newton's interest in alchemy actually started early in life. When he was young, he used it as a diversion from his dysfunctional family life. Remember earlier I said his mother had sort of, he felt she had abandoned him and he resented his mother throughout his life. And so Mm -hmm. this was kind of a way that he was able to escape that experience. Okay. A young Isaac Newton was fascinated with the book Mysteries of Nature and Art, which contained a mix of occult philosophy and practical engineering. So really seems like quite a crossover there. Yeah, hand in hand. (laughs) When he was at Cambridge University, he continued learning about alchemy and focused on both the practical and theoretical sides of the field. And as we mentioned a moment ago, alchemists wanted to discover the Philosopher's Stone, and Newton Mm. was no exception. So if you're wondering what the Philosopher's Stone is, here's a quick refresher. The Philosopher's Stone is said to be a mythical substance that some believe to be the key to eternal life. Mm. It's believed that it can also be used to turn base metals like lead into gold, which you can imagine the power that that would give the person who had such a stone. Oh, yeah. In his writings, Newton wrote down a recipe for a substance thought to be a step toward making the Philosopher's Stone. (gasps) And I know this was called Sophic Mercury. Sophic Mercury. Newton copied this recipe from the American scientist George Starkey, but he added his own notes to it and... (laughs) I love this, corrected a mistake that George Starkey had made. So, (laughs) okay. He's like, nice try. (laughs) He's like, okay, George. (laughs) You did a good start. Pat on the back, but I got this from here. (laughs) In his writings, Newton used cryptic references like Green Lion, Neptune's Trident, and the Scepter of Jove. Mm. And as of this recording in December 2022, no one has ever deciphered what these references could mean. Oh, well, that's just another reason to be fascinated by alchemy, that like Absolutely. you're reading a book and you still don't even know what you're reading half the time. It's like still a code, you know, it's still a mystery because alchemists were actually known to write in code to avoid being copied. I guess George Starkey didn't have <laughs> such a code. <laughs> I wonder if George is the reason they started. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Especially Newton. He was like, well, I fixed someone's stuff. They're not going to fix Green Lion. Yeah. They're not going to fix Neptune's <laughs> Trident. No not way. my scepter. Yeah. Leave me alone. Also, I wonder if that was like, if you were that confident in your formula, you didn't want anyone messing with it and ruining it or something. So maybe it went both ways of either someone's trying to correct it or someone could absolutely tarnish it, you know? Yeah, you never know. I feel like it's already a dangerous field to be in. So if you want it kept to yourself, you mm-hmm. might as well use a secret code. Yep. And speaking of being cryptic, by the way, Newton gave himself alchemical pseudonyms. So one of them was Jehovah Sanctus Unus, which means Jehovah, the Holy One. Okay. Seems a little high and mighty to me, but I guess he's giving narcissism. I was going to say, it's a little self-important, but I guess (laughs) if anyone deserves a self-important nickname, it's the guy who's telling... It's the Lord of Gravity. Yeah, it's the Lord of Gravity. Exactly. It's thought that Newton's practice of alchemy most likely inspired his work on optics, Like we mentioned earlier, his discovery that white light is a mixture of various colors was Mm -hmm. one of these big discoveries. Newton was also interested in the ancient world. 
He even wrote a text called, and this might take me a breath or two because it's a very long title. So buckle up. Okay. The Chronology of Ancient Kingdoms, colon, to which is prefixed a short chronicle from the first memory of things in Europe to the conquest of Persia by Alexander the Great. Oh, my God. That's the title. (laughs) Oh, my God. And the entire piece, the entire text, was 87,000 words. Most of them were in the title. (laughs) Okay, fair point, fair point. (laughs) Newton theorized that the ancient Egyptians had been in possession of knowledge that had been forgotten over the centuries, and he became fascinated with a unit of measurement called cubit, a measurement that was used by the people who built the Great Pyramids. Okay. And Newton believed that the cubit would help him figure out the exact size of other ancient buildings. For example, Newton was keen to know the dimensions of the Temple of Solomon, which he believed would help him better understand the biblical apocalypse. Oh, okay. And speaking of the Bible, Newton studied it intently because he was trying to decode divine prophecies. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Why not? And his What else are you going to do? Yeah. (laughs) If there's ever another quarantine, at least he's got a project. He's got a light beach read and it's the Bible. From the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, he guessed that the apocalypse was going to happen no earlier than the year 2060, Mm, which gives me, much to my own annoyance, a sense of dread. Does it? It does, because I think... (laughs) To know that we're not even 40 years out? Yeah, he's kind of a smart guy. Like, what if if that's real? I mean, that is something a lot of... I don't know about the year exactly 2060, but they have said, like... 50 years from now, the world is not going to look the way it does today. So, Well, that much I do know. Yeah. Maybe he's right. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. By the way, folks, if you don't want to do the math, it's 37 years away. So we got almost four, a little under four decades to, uh, I don't know, do what you got to do. Completely reverse everything that's ever happened. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) To to stop the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Newton's religious beliefs were pretty unorthodox for the time. He actually rejected the Trinity, which is the belief that God exists through three equally divine figures, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this is another reason why his writings were kept hidden for so long. Again, this was a very heretical belief to have had. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to somewhat recent years. It wasn't until the 1960s that Newton's papers on alchemy and theology were actually widely published. So it took a while. The renowned economist John Maynard Keynes bought some of Newton's papers, and after reading his writings, he's the one who said that Newton was, quote, not the first of the age of reason. He was the last of the hmm. magicians. Oh. I know. It's like such such a powerful statement. A thing. A powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. I, clearly, I don't have a way with words like this guy does, John. Yeah. <laughs> In 2020, three pages of Newton's writings, three pages, Mm. sold at auction for around $504,000. Half a million. Wow. I just know that'll never happen to me. (laughs) Well, I mean. (laughs) I just know I'll never write something that, or own anything that's worth half a million dollars. No, certainly not. So um, this is where we get into the Marvel fun facts. Mm. Marvel slash Isaac Newton collab, like Marvel X Newton collab. Mm -hmm. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) And I wonder how much you know about this. Sir Isaac Newton was one of the Sorcerer's Supreme in the Marvel Mm -hmm. comics. Mm -hmm. And according to our research, he was the most evil one. 
And he was also leader of the Brotherhood of the Shield. None of this means anything to me. So I hope I know. it means something to you. It does. It means a lot to me. Great. And also, so, you know, a Sorcerer Supreme, that's currently Doctor Strange. There's always one oh, Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, I've heard of him. You have, Wait, and yes. Isaac Newton was one of them? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Sorcerer Supreme is the master of the mystic arts. So it kind of makes oh. sense if he's into alchemy. I also, I think it's interesting, one of my things that I really like about Marvel is if they're going to bring in characters, a lot of times they really will do solid research. So that way it's rooted in some That's truth. That's pretty cool. There are a few things that you said were similar. So Brotherhood of the Shield, he was in a secret society, just like mm-hmm. this, it seems. The secret society claimed to know more than others about the world and where it was going. Like even in the comics, he says that he knows the world's going to end in 2060. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And wow. interesting, though, in his Brotherhood of the Shield and that secret society he was mentored by galileo and then murdered him he murdered okay that part well because he's the most evil one and just like in real life how we were saying that he was threatened by people either being better than him or calling him out or like correcting him on stuff he felt threatened by the other like really smart scientists so he went on like a murder rampage and started killing all the people so that was a little bit of uh that was maybe a little bit of creative liberty they took there well get this okay the way that he would kill people, he would uh, leave a an- knitting needle in the <laughs> eye. <laughs> no, but that would have made so much sense now. No, he left an apple at every one of the murders. <gasps> Ooh, that's spooky. It was definitely a weird... In it, he discovers the elixir of life and he becomes immortal. He also, his baby time travels and is raised by Nikola Tesla. Oh, a wow. Thing. A lot okay. goes on. He's apparently a main character sometimes. You know, I had absolutely no idea that he was even slightly involved in Marvel, let alone so deeply involved. (laughs) And one more bullet here. In the comics, Newton does figure out the formula, like you said, for the elixir of life. And so it's sort of like what he was hoping to do got to be played out in the comics, which I think is pretty cool. Honestly, whatever I'm trying to achieve in this life, if it became a Marvel comic when I'm dead and my baby time (laughs) travels and is raised by someone else... I'll call that a win. That's my goal. I'll write a comic for you. It won't be Marvel level, but it'll be like hand drawn on a post-it note. And I hope that'll do That's it enough. You. That's okay. enough. Yeah, just <laughs> tape it to my grave so I can take a look at it. <laughs> well, um, what's your biggest takeaway from today's episode? Did any of this strike you as new information? I didn't know about the sentencing people to death thing. That actually makes sense now with the comics because he was on a killing spree. Oh, wait. Oh, I didn't even put that together. That makes so much sense. Oh, I love Marvel. Wow. Wow. I guess they aren't totally the same thing, but I can see between alchemy. I always thought he was more into just physics. I didn't know he was into alchemy. I guess I can see the similarities now that we've been involved with rituals for so long that Mm -hmm. I feel like now it makes sense that a lot of people in any science were involved in alchemy. Absolutely. So I see the overlap. But I had no idea that that was part of his life. Especially when it was done in secret during their lifetime because he was getting accolades for his scientific achievements. But all of the alchemy stuff was behind the scenes. So it's not like anybody then even really knew. I wonder what achievements or what accolades he would have gotten if he were allowed to be public with it. Like, would he have? Or do you think it was still a science he felt like he knew nothing about? Because maybe that was his one big challenge. Like, he couldn't understand that one. Since it was illegal, he probably would have been in big, big trouble. I know I'm saying if he could have been public with it. like what, Oh, I if, see. I wonder if he would have been famous for that, too, or if they would have been like, 
You should not try alchemy. You should stick with physics. I don't know, because, I mean, it seems like he was correcting certain scientists, but then also... Well, that makes sense, too, why he was working at the Mint, right? Because he was, like, understanding coins and metals. Great and point. People were scraping gold off of the coins. So, I mean, maybe that was intentional and it just looked like a random job to other people, but it was with ulterior motives. He was getting some insider knowledge. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was it surprising to you to know that Newton wanted to figure out when the apocalypse was going to happen? Because I feel like when I learned about Sir Isaac Newton in, I don't know, junior year of high school, nobody told me about the fact that he thought the world would be ending in 2060. No, especially because in my mind, I very staunchly separate scientists from like faith-based people. I, I know it's not fully accurate, but when I hear like Isaac Newton reading the Bible, I'm like, oh, that sounds like the setup to a joke. Like, it sounds like... Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. It doesn't really fit what we know about his work. Yeah. I did not think he was concerned about the apocalypse unless it was, like, rooted in science. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting that he based that solely on the Bible. Yeah. It's intriguing. Well, if Sir Isaac Newton were living in today's times, I think we already discussed this, really, but he'd probably be TikTok famous. I think so. Yeah. He would at least, he'd be like a Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Like have some fun web series, maybe like a, do a kid's thing like Bill Nye. Yeah. I wonder if instead of the apple, maybe he would do like a an avocado or something a little oh, more yeah. timely, you know, a little more like current, youthful. An apple wouldn't intrigue anyone. Especially yeah. like think of his haters on TikTok like, oh, you threw an apple at your head. Now you're a genius. Well, you know. I don't know. I could see people making skits about that. I was going to say, that actually does sound exactly like a TikTok I've probably heard. And then it would make him more viral, I guess. So (laughs) He could try it with different, you know, like that YouTube series, Will It Blend, where they just put different things. He would just drop different (laughs) fruit. Will it drop? Will it drop? Yeah, just drop different fruits on his head. Oh, boy. This is why we do not get into talent management, because we would probably send everybody to the death of their careers. Oh, yeah. Drop a persimmon on your head. Yeah, I don't know how it would work. Maybe he'd have like a collab with a trampoline company and then he could just drop <laughs> things without them getting hurt. I don't know. Oh, my God. That probably already is a web series. Let's be honest. He would get a brand deal with Mott's Apple Juice. You know? Ooh, now that's what you want. That's what I want. I love apple juice. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from Smithsonian Magazine, Wired, History.com, Biography.com, PBS.org, LiveScience.org, The Royal Society, and the Magazine of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at BM Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schiefer. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo, with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Research by Chelsea Wood. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. 